This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. Way back when I first had the idea of interviewing Christian women for a podcast, I think I had the idea on a Friday and I remember that weekend being really excited about the idea, thinking about all the people I could interview and thinking about, well, even starting a podcast. I was doing lots of research how to start a podcast and thinking about intro songs and logos and a podcast name and I spent the weekend pretty excited talking with my family about it. And then on Sunday, I caught up with Gary Miller, who is the guest for today's podcast. And I remember telling him about this idea and he straight away was really enthusiastic and he co-founded the Gospel Coalition Australia group. And he was really excited about the podcast and thought that it could be a really good fit with the Gospel Coalition. So he put me in touch with the editor Um, Andrew Moody and from there we ended up having the podcast hosted on the Gospel Coalition Australia website for a number of years before going out on our own. So it was exciting for me to be able to catch up with Gary and talk about his new book knowing that he has been a long-time supporter of this podcast. We actually spent quite a bit of time in this episode talking about his work at Queensland Theological College as the principal but don't worry we definitely do get around to talking about his book. Just a quick reminder too before we begin that we have a little partnership going with The Wandering Bookseller. You can head to their website, wanderingbookseller.com.au, that's wandering with an A, and if you purchase this book or any other books from the Lydia Project book club series that we've done this year, you can get a 15% discount, which is great. And then a small percentage of the profits from any books you buy will also then come back to the Lydia Project, which is great for us because it helps us pay for our ongoing costs like subscriptions to editing software and hosting sites and things like that. So thank you so much for supporting The Wandering Bookseller. We know you have been and we really appreciate it and Carl really appreciates it as well. All right, on with the conversation. Gary, thank you so much for chatting with me about your book, Need to Know, for the Lydia Project podcast. I would love to start by asking you how you came to faith in Christ. It's lovely to talk to you about this story. I grew up in a Christian family, but I think a Christian family where Jesus wasn't actually talked about that much. I mean, I grew up just outside Belfast in a family that was very committed to being to, to going to church and I was in no doubt that Jesus loved me and died for me and even as I, as I grew up I was aware that I needed to read my Bible but most of the kind of conversation about Jesus was really delegated to you know Sunday school or later youth group so I was very clear that you know my parents were following Jesus and wanted me to but there wasn't all that much kind of wasn't a lot of prayer together or even overt. There was a slight awkwardness about talking about Jesus. 
So the effect that had on me was, I think it produced a, you know, a very wholehearted little Pharisee, <laughs> really. <laughs> um, and when I got to about 13 or 14, probably my second year in high school, second, third year in high school, went along to the youth group and there was one of the youth group leaders in particular who um, I think was about 25 with hindsight. She seemed much older back then. Could have been 16, yeah, could have been 36, right. she we was don't much, know. She was much older than me. And uh, Sharon was a nurse and she was just one of those people had an infectious love for Jesus. And in the way in which she spoke and thought and acted, knowing Jesus was everything. And I do remember being quite confronted because for me being a Christian, <laughs> was go to church, kind of, you know, stand up for belonging to Jesus. But it really amounted to getting your homework in on time and kind of staying out of trouble. Um, but at that stage, I realized, oh, hang on, you know, if, if Jesus died for me, this actually demands, requires, means everything. And so that was, a, that really was a key moment. I think I was a Christian before then. <laughs> I do remember the, the probably the most hateful teacher in our school who was really quite cruel. After sort of mistreating us as a class all the way through the first year of high school, said at the end, uh, at the end of the year in his class, okay, I'm a Christian and I think you should all follow Jesus too. Han hands up if, you've, if you're a follower of Jesus. <laughs> and I remember reluctantly putting my hand up Though I did, I did look at my best friend and I said, I thought you were a Christian too. And he just said, not anymore, <laughs> not if he is. But so there was clearly, there was a willingness even to stand up in front of my friends. But I think I hadn't really got the beauty of the gospel, the delight of following Jesus. And that was really the, the time when I was around 13 or 14, when I think the gospel sort of fell into place and took hold of my life. And after that, you know, if I'd, like all of us, plenty of ups and downs, but seeking to follow Jesus wholeheartedly since then. Yeah. And obviously from your accent, yes, you grew up yep. in Belfast, but we're yep. sitting here in Brisbane. So yeah. do you want to just actually tell tell me a little bit about what you do day to day? Yeah, well, I'm the, the principal of uh, QTC, Queensland Theological College. I love the job because I actually get to do a, a, a real mixture of things. But at the heart of it, it really is encouraging people to spend the rest of their lives following Jesus in a wholehearted and hopefully paid capacity. Though so it's about equipping leaders, gospel workers, pastors. And the great delight of a theological college is you get to kind of journey with people for three or four years who are on that track. Now, as well as that, we get to encourage and teach a whole host of people lots of them on campus here, lots of others scattered across Queensland and, and beyond. You know, we've got a few students in New Zealand as we try to help them get up and going. So that's a large part of my job, but also to care for staff and to work alongside the other teachers and the admin staff and engage with church leaders to make sure that we are actually doing what needs to be done. But honestly, for me, the, the highlight of my week is uh, teaching the Bible in College Chapel on, on Tuesdays. So for 26 weeks of the year, basically, I, I do that. And I think that for me, I, I've always known I'm really a pastor at heart who happens to have flirted with academia on and off through, through my life. But I think... Just I th enough I th to be in the position I you're think, in. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
I, I think I think like a pastor and kind of feel like a pastor in a slightly weird role, you know, rather than some of my colleagues who I at points I envy and, <laughs> and admire who are much better at sitting and focusing on one thing and, you know, dedicating themselves to endless hours of reading and writing and tweaking and you know, researching. I like doing a little bit of that, but my attention wanders quite quickly <laughs> to other things. But as a good lady, you make sure you've got those true academics exactly. on your staff. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think that's the secret of having... And so what's the size of QTC? I know actually the answer to this question, yes. don't okay. I? But, um, <laughs> tell people who are listening, just so they get a feel for it. Um, well, there are, um, in terms of staff, there are six full-time lecturers and then kind of an army of, of people who help us along to teach and um, about seven or eight admin staff. So there are about 15 of us here. And in terms of student numbers, there are about uh, between 140 and 150 people studying at any one time. A small number of those people are, are completely online. Um, about 100 are here most weeks. And then you've got another bunch of people who are here on a Monday evening, those who kind of hold down proper jobs and come on Monday nights. And then about the same, about another 20 or so who are studying online. You've got a church full to look after. Exactly. As well That's as running a yeah. college here. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because there's all of the academic side of things as well as the college side of things, yes. as in complying with higher education yeah. rules. They're the bits I really love. Oh, as I know, I'm sure Gary, you I really want to talk to you about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, it's just, you know, in a way it's like church. There are, there are things, you know, like child protection in church mm. that, it, in order to do what we do, we have to be committed to doing those really well. But they really are. They're kind of ancillary to the main, the main game. And it's part of my role, I suppose, to make sure that we do constantly keep our eyes fixed on what we're doing, which is teaching theology for the sake of the church, that the mission of the church might be mm. well served as people are equipped for, you know, for a lifetime of, of serving Jesus. And when you say the church, QTC is a Presbyterian college, but there's loads of non-Presi students that serves as well, aren't yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. We d we don't even we don't even count anymore. I mean, generally, just under half of the students are connected in some way to to a Presi church. Um, but you know, in a way, we just want to serve the Church of Jesus Christ, whatever that whatever that looks like. You no, know, so we're not. You know, we're quite happy to be Presbyterian, <laughs> but it's not its not really front and centre. Now, I'm getting distracted because yeah. we're, we're actually meant to be talking <laughs> about your book. Yeah. But I just suddenly thought, oh, a great opportunity for people yeah. who are listening in Australia or overseas to hear a little bit about QTC. Uh, before we get to your book, I just do want to ask you, because most of our listeners are women, yeah. um, I know that you are surrounded by loads of strong women in your life, your <laughs> wife and your yeah. daughters and women at college and yeah. your staff. How have women over your life contributed to your growth in your faith in yeah. Christ? Uh, quite, quite significantly, actually. I mean, I mentioned Sharon, you know, who's, who's the youth group leader. Coincidentally or providentially, when I grew up in a fairly new church, and I, I grew up as kind of the oldest cohort of a growing church, you know, that there were my brother, I've got a younger brother, he had lots more peers than I did. But the bunch of us who were my age actually mostly were were girls. 
you know, so there were a couple of my peers, people who had the biggest Christian influence on me in church around my age were both, were girls who were, you know, a year or a couple of years older, older than me. And then, I mean, obviously I met Fiona, my wife, in Scotland uh, when I was at theological college. Uh, we'd been married for almost 30 years and she's been a bigger influence on me than, than anyone else. Kind of my best friend and partner and conversation <laughs> partner and I've just learned so much about living for Jesus from her and then you know we've got three daughters you know so and in fact even the dog isn't our dog is now you know female as well so I do live in a fairly female environment. Gary, that was your opportunity to get another male in the I house know, you know. But we did have a yeah, oh. we had a male dog but then that's that's another story. Okay. Um, I think also I, I think partly some of my experiences as a as an assistant pastor and the pastor in Dublin then realized that that often I think as men in church we really haven't been very good at equipping and encouraging women I think we often learn from sort of from watching people who've gone before us not do things very well and I think I had that experience and it did make me think hard about encouraging women like in in a team context and making sure that women are secure protected you know nurtured encouraged but also in college you know we felt quite strongly here in Queensland that one of the the ancillary things that we can do that's not really at the heart of our ministry but as no one else is doing it we'll keep doing it until someone else starts our ministry to women course which is a not for credit course that Fiona and some others are involved in that we've run now for uh, I think this next year's it's ninth or tenth um, we've actually seen hundreds of women in local churches equipped to speak the gospel into each other's lives and I suspect that kind of when the books are opened you know the true impact of QTC over these years is revealed that that'll probably be more significant than than anything else but I feel quite strongly about that you know I'm kind of a complementarian by conviction but I think I think as soon as as soon as you say that out loud it's it's then incumbent on us to uh, to work that out and to be serious about it that complementarian shouldn't be a shorthand for you know guarding the roles of men you know from uh, anyone else encroaching on those it actually means we have to take responsibility to ensure that yep rightly qualified men are in key leadership roles in church but we're actually then more serious about encouraging involving listening to um, the voices of women than anyone else because we are actually convinced that women have a unique contribution to play um, as as do men in the life of the church. Well, let's talk about your book. Yeah. Um, so I chose this book initially because I wanted a book that um, was evangelistic or that would help me in my evangelism or be a book that I could read yeah. and then give to a non-Christian. And so I actually went on the Gospel Coalition website and typed in evangelism and this came up <laughs> and I went, great, I know Gary, I'll, I'll choose that one. So I actually knew nothing about it and it's probably more for a new Christian yeah, than a yeah. non-Christian, oh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I decided to sort of tweak that and I've been praying for either someone that I know to become a Christian so I can give it to them <laughs> yes. or, um, you know, just, yeah, yeah, I think it's helpful for Christians as yeah. well as new Christians. Yeah. But how did you come to write the book? 
this book is actually born out of a very a very real need and a, to be honest a frustration that I felt I was I was a pastor in Dublin for 12 years before moving to Australia and lots of people in God's kindness became Christians over those those 12 years and Dublin being you know I don't know what it is now about 92 percent Catholic basically uh, no one had been taught the Bible anywhere else. Yeah, that, that's a slight oversimplification, but, but most people in the Catholic Church, well, most people that actually moved away from the Catholic Church, they'd had a vaguely religious upbringing. They'd never read the Bible, never been taught the Bible. And then, you know, some of those, um, uh, in, again, in God's kindness, came to our church, heard the Bible being taught, did Christianity explored, and, and committed to Jesus. And that was great. So I thought, okay, what, what do you do now? That's a, a slightly strange thing for me because I'd grown up in a context where kind of everybody had been, had had the gospel beaten into them or whether they, whether they embraced it or understood it or not. So if God, coming from a context where you had all this information that you just needed to kind of draw on and recalibrate and take hold of to a context where literally people knew nothing. I mean, it wasn't unusual for people to go, oh, you know, the Bible's in two halves, or you know, people would always say, Jesus had brothers and sisters, as we work through Mark's gospel, or just all these fairly obvious questions. And then I thought, well, how do you help people bridge the gap from, I've read Mark's gospel, I'm convinced that Jesus died and rose, rose again, I put my trust in him. You know, how do you kind of get from there to being engaged in the life of the church and living for the Lord Jesus? And I never really find anything. Uh, Philip Jensen wrote a little series of studies just for starters that we used. But the problem with that was that it was so basic. You know, one verse, very obvious questions. <laughs> and, you know, you did that and then you tried to incorporate them in a, you know, a growth group. <laughs> and suddenly they're studying, you know, 20 verses of Romans and trying to do application. And I just thought that was really problematic. And I actually had a conversation in 2009 with a friend of mine who... I got to know through ordering books from the Good Book Company in London. And I phoned James up to order some books and he said, oh, Gary said, we've been asking pastors, what can we provide? What can we write or commission that would be useful for you? And I said, I would really like a book, kind of like the rules of the road, kind of highway code kind of thing that will just say, here's what you can expect now that you're a Christian so that there are no surprises down the track. Because I, I kept having conversations where people had become Christians and then they would sidle up to me three months or six months later and go, okay, what's the this, what's this story about the Trinity? Mm -hmm. Or just seeing people who had, if you like, felt like they'd committed to Jesus and then a year later they were really struggling and they were shaky mm -hmm. and they were, starting to, they were starting to doubt themselves and say, I'm not sure I've done this properly, I'm not sure I'm really a Christian. I'm going, oh, you know, <laughs> this really could have been sorted out 12 months ago, but there was stuff that I didn't tell them. So I said to James, that's, that's what I really need. And he said, yeah, I said, that would be a great thing. And then he did nothing about it. And cut a long story short, um, nine, years, nine years later, I was doing the national training event at AFES in Canberra. I've been thinking a lot about this theology for a Christian for, of the Christian life, just trying to give people a, a coherent 
understanding of what it means, what it feels like to be a Christian, almost from the inside. And so I worked on those talks, did the conference, and I happened to be talking to the same guy, James, again, and said, James, did you ever produce that book? Do you think this might fit the bill? And then started work with an editor who's an author as well, a woman called Rachel Jones, who, who wrote The Biblical Theology of Periods, amongst other things. And that's how the book was born. You know, I've written some things that just flowed out of, you know, the work I do in college or, you know, just a random idea that I had. Th this one for me was very much a, a labour of love and out of conviction that was, this is kind of written for real people 10 years too late. <laughs> there are a list of people I wish I could have given this to 15 years ago in Dublin. So that, that's, that's how it was born. Um, and that, I think that pro sort of explains the way in which the book is set up. Yeah, yeah. and exactly who it's for. Yeah, it's yeah. for that new Christian, whether yeah. they're shaky or rock solid, whatever yeah. it is, however they were converted or came to Christ. It tries to say as much as possible in in a really simple, uh, you know, in a way shallow way. It's trying to say, okay, let me run through everything that you will learn more about in the next 50 years in a in an oversimplified way so that you know my hope would be people would read the book and then for the rest of their lives wouldn't get any surprises that that they hopefully will have the experience of going oh that's bigger or richer or a bit more complex or sharper than i thought but hopefully if you you know if you read this you don't then go five years later Oh, nobody told nobody told me about Jesus that. All of my yes, life. or okay. you know, or church is oh, so church is important. You know that. So, yep. Yeah, And was it a constant tension then, trying to keep it simple but not shallow? I mean, there there is a sense in which, though, for me, that's uh, that's been the great concern of my ministry life, work, even in college. You know, we. I just the guys in college are, are, I think, are probably sick of me saying that we need to teach the Bible in a way that's simple but rich. You know, it's because the message of the Bible is not complicated, but it is immeasurably rich. And there is a sense in which we've only got one thing to say, but we have to say it in a way that's, you know, that's constantly fresh and, you know, allowing different aspects of the gospel, different you know, parts of the beauty of, of God, of the Lord Jesus to emerge. So it's always that back and forward. And I think for most of us at times, we oversimplify and at times we overcomplicate. So we're, we, you know, for me, I live in that space. But the book was a, yeah, that mm. was a particular example. Well, as example I was reading it, I mean, I appreciated how simple and accessible it was. Yep. And of course, I was thinking of new Christians and there were times that I was thinking, this is really complicated, yeah. but also you can't leave it out. Yeah. And I can see what you're doing, trying to sort of treat it as simply as possible. But just what you were saying about you want your preaching to be yeah. simple and yet rich, it reminds me of my favourite quote from the book, Gary, which I have remembered. And it's that living for the Lord Jesus isn't actually all that complicated. It's just hard. Yeah. And I actually really, really... Yeah. appreciate that quote. Do you yeah. want to say a bit more about that? I mean, there is a sense which, Tori, I think this book, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not long, 
it's not all that complicated, but it, it you know it has taken me forty years to get to the point where I can write it. And in one sense, it's a, I think it's like a glaring statement of the obvious. You know, um, yeah, I I did my PhD on Deuteronomy, and I've kind of worked more on that than anything else. And Deuteronomy is innately simple. I mean, there's a sense which Moses says, God speaks to you. He has told you what to do. Do it. Now, of course, you need God's resources. We need God to intervene and change us through the Holy Spirit to make that possible, which happens in the death of the Lord Jesus. But again, it is just quite straightforward. You know, we have a loving speaking God who has spoken to us now in the Lord Jesus. And most of the New Testament is essentially saying, now get on with living in the way that he tells us. And I think there is that, that innate simplicity. But knowing that it's hard up front, that saves us from all kinds of hassles. You know, whether it's just emotionally, like knowing that there will be times where we feel miserable, you know, where our, our guilt kind of looks far larger than it actually is. And that sometimes I think I may have just probably like you have had lots of conversations with people who become Christians, you know, three, six months in or a year in going, how come I feel worse than I did before I became a Christian? You know, we know, you know, with, with hindsight that that's just because our guilt, our twistedness is starting to be exposed and this is a good and a right thing and it's normal. So we don't need to read into our difficult experiences that we're somehow doing something wrong. But people do need to know that up front. They do need to know that we are part of the church and that church is not easy. It can be a painful and complicated experience, but we are part of the church. You know, that that it's it's just not, it's not an option. You know, we we can't decide to opt in or opt out. You know, whatever difficulties we may have with our local church at any given time, whether we like it or not, we are part of the body of Christ and we work through the, through those difficulties from from that place. So I think that's where that's the motivation, trying to get those simple things bedded in. And also for me, I mean, as a teenager, I do remember arguing in a very embarrassing way with hindsight, with my next door neighbor of all people, um, that no, I had decided whether or not I was following Jesus. And it was really all down to me at the end of the day. <laughs> and he very patiently, but not with much effect, I've got to say, you know, tried to show, that, show me there was a bigger picture and then when I remember when I was at university, it kind of dawned on me that I was being a bit of an idiot and that that had caused me needless angst in the previous few years, which is really why I wanted to start the book with the Trinity and God being the one who does all the heavy lifting, that he is really what he does, dwarfs our you know, part, which is not, not unimportant, but you can't just put the two things side by side, that it's God who has broken into our lives and brought us to new life and joined us to the Lord Jesus. And if you get that, if you've got that as our bedrock, it does take a lot of the pain out of the ups and downs of our relationship with him and our experience of life. That just gives everything a different cast. Actually, the beginning of the book, I love where it starts. I just found that so helpful and refreshing and I was sitting there reading it we were camping with my family and we we're sitting around the campfire and I said okay so 
you're going to write a book for new Christians. Where would you start? <laughs> because I wouldn't have started with the Trinity. Yeah. And so it yeah. made me think, well, where would I have started? And, you know, it was really interesting, the answers that all the kids gave and that, that I gave. You know, we were thinking, oh, well, you start with the gospel or you start with creation or you yeah. start with church or prayer. Yeah. But actually starting with the Trinity, I mean, it reminded me a bit of actually Peter Jensen's book, The Heart of the Universe. It yeah. just starting yeah. with God. Yeah. It is just so right. Yeah. And in a way, you get the really big, complex Trinity idea yeah. up front when people are fresh. Yeah, I had an, uh, when I was at uni, I had a friend who was a couple of years above me. And I remember at a, an, a, an AFES equivalent main meeting, he came up to me, he asked me if I'd read a book, which is actually a book called The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. And I said, no, not heard of it, never read it. He said, that's the book you need to read. He said, because if you get the sovereignty of God sorted out, kind of everything else falls into place. When I read that, it just reframed the way I look, looked at life. And I think that did shape me, and I, I suspect that's the, the root of the approach that's in the book. It is born for me out of pastoral experience, that when people get that, it avoids a lot of problems. You know, and I think that's, I don't want to repeat myself, but I think that's the book is written like that because I, I've just seen lots of people get themselves tied up in knots as they've tried to sort that out months or years after becoming Christians because they've got they've got some foundations or some missing foundations at the beginning. And I think too, I mean, our sinful nature is always going to want to put us at the heart of it. <laughs> Yeah. you know us at the center and, and yep. my response and what do yep. i need to do and yep. actually just right from the get-go yep. saying it's god he's right at the heart of it have you heard of anyone who has read the book as a new christian do you as an oh, author sort of get that feedback I, down the line? actually yes i worked through six people who were new christians in our church um, in Brisbane, which was a, a very strange thrill, I would describe it as. Um, but seeing that they were actually helped and encouraged. And I have actually I've got a lot of feedback from people kind of all over the place, all over the world, just, I mean, usually from, you know, from friends, from people who've said, oh, you know, I've given this to someone in church who's just become a Christian. I've done a couple of video kind of calls, you know, with groups of people who've been working through it in various places here in Australia and, and in the UK. And that's been very encouraging. My prayer as I wrote it was, I just wanted people to be helped. <laughs> the, and people that you know, feel like in my head have names because that's really who the book was, was written for. And I don't expect, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think you know, there are necessarily loads of gaps you know, I think we're richly blessed. Most things that we would want to book for, there are loads to choose from. Just in, in our context, I couldn't find one that fitted that. And so I'm very grateful to God that I had a chance to have a crack at, at writing for, for people like us on the ground with friends who have just become Christians or sometimes who've just become part of a Bible teaching church, or people like me when I was 14, who kind of knew the gospel, but the penny had just dropped for them, um, to give them a little bit of a hand in making sure that they're set up to live well for Jesus in, in the years ahead. So, 
you know, continue to pray that God will, will use it for that Absolutely. until someone comes and does a better job. And then we'll Thank you for answering that because I've been thinking about who to give it away to, but of course you could read it with someone, couldn't you? Yeah, or you could yeah. have a group reading it together because I'm sure that if someone reads it, they would have lots to discuss. So yeah. great ideas there, Gary. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for chatting with me about it. And for people listening to the podcast, if you've already read it, hopefully that stimulates you to share the book. And if you haven't read it, hopefully a good encouragement to buy it and yeah. read it and give it away. Can I mention one more thing? Yes. In the next couple of weeks, there is actually a prequel coming out. <laughs> No, it sounds like Star Wars. What, but don't need to know? No, which, which is actually called, called Read This First. Alongside that need, the other thing that I always wanted to have was a book that would introduce people to reading the Bible who had never read it before, that, that assumes nothing, but actually introduces them to this massive, rich, complicated straightforward confusing volume the the good book company after we'd finished this one said we'd really like you to have a crack at that so that's about to come out and i think that's a book that i think would be a really easy book to give to someone who's not yet a christian it, there's a sense of which it's just trying to in, introduce them to how they might read the bible rather than necessarily explaining the gospel um, first up so it's a sort of pre-evangelistic book mm-hmm. has a little bit at the back you know explaining like why there are verse numbers and that kind of stuff but it's basically if you're interested in getting into this best-selling book even just to take a look here's how you might do it and when's but that due out technically the first of january i haven't seen it yet but it'll brilliant thank you so much gary thanks We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 